You know, just as we were coming to the end of that worship time, do you know what I felt God say to me? I felt, as we were talking about eagles, wings, soaring with wings like eagles, I felt God saying, don't flap. <laughs> don't flap, soar. Yeah? That's all eagles do, you know. I mean, well, a bit more now, but basically they just stick their wings out. And, you know, sometimes as we respond to God, as we worship, that's all we're doing. We're sticking our wings out. And we're waiting for the Spirit of God just to flow and flood and lift us and take us somewhere. Wonderful, isn't it? So remember that. Don't flap. Just stretch your wings. God is with us this morning. Right. Anyway, <clears throat> that wasn't part of this. That was just something else. I would pretty much guess that most of us can think of situations where the outcome is inevitable. Whether it's in politics, in sport, in business, sometimes in public opinion. There seem to be moments where, uh, you know, events or even people just seem to be unstoppable. Whatever happens, it's going to happen. And God is unstoppable. When he wants to do something, he does it. When he says something... It happens. When he promises something, he delivers. God is unstoppable. Or is he? Or is he? Well, today we're going to look at an account in Mark's gospel of an incident in the life of Jesus where it seems that in one sense at least, God is stoppable. That Jesus, God made man, stops at a heart's cry. Jesus stops at a heart's cry. And we're going to read uh, our passage in uh, Mark chapter 10. And we're going to start at uh, verse 46. Okay, so let's read <coughs> the scriptures together. Then they reached Jericho. And as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me! Have mercy on me, son of David! Be quiet! Jesus, Shut up! Sit down! Jesus, Pipe down, you! Son of David. Lots of people yelled at him, Be quiet! But he only shouted the louder. <laughs> when Jesus heard him, he stopped. And he said to him, tell him to come here. So they called the blind man. Cheer up, they said. Come on, he's calling you. Bartimaeus threw aside his cloak, jumped up, and he came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, said Jesus. Jesus, I want to see. And Jesus said for him, go, for your faith has healed you. And instantly the man could see, and he followed Jesus down the road. Well, I'm sorry if, if Dan startled you. I'd say just thanks very much, Dan, for helping me out there. You know, 
Jesus' ministry was not nice and neat and tidy. It was real and it was raw. It was live and happening. This is a wonderful account of an interaction between God and a man showing something of the mystery of how that happens, something of the heart of God. God, who is apparently doing something else, is apprehended by a needy man. It starts a little strangely. I don't know whether you noticed it. It's a bit of a non-story, isn't it? Jesus went to Jericho and he left. Nothing going on there. Nothing to see here. Nothing that Mark wants to report. It's a non-event. And as Jesus is moving on, suddenly a man, a blind beggar of all people, breaks into the story and writes himself into Bible history. Amazing. Jesus, God-made man, stops at the cry of a heart. And you know, perhaps we should even know at this point, sometimes the best God stories happen in the margins, happen where and when we would least expect them. God give us eyes to be open to see what he's doing where we maybe don't see it before. I also just, before I really start, want to make reference to this sort of comment that Jesus was, was going by. In Luke's gospel, it actually refers to Jesus passing by. And I just want to refer back, when I spoke in early July, I talked about this idea of passing by in the Bible. A bit strange to us, but actually when God passes by, when Jesus was passing by, I think it's clear that he's not ignoring us. He's not walking by on the other side, like the, uh, like the guy in the Good Samaritan story. He's drawing near, he's passing by so that we can reach out, that we can call out, that we can reach out to him. He's passing by to provoke us, not to ignore us. Now, I don't know what blind Bartimaeus looked like, but the Bible does show us in this account some of his characteristics, which I think are challenging to us. So it's going to be a little bit different this morning. If you're taking notes, get ready. I haven't got three points. I've got nine. (laughs) And before you panic, there are nine mini points. So don't worry, we'll get through this. Okay, Um, I just had a sense, you know, that God, do you know sometimes, have you ever had anybody flick water like that at you? It's not overly unpleasant, is it? But it makes you sort of jump a little bit. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to do that for us this morning. And maybe one, maybe one or more of of these points, maybe just like for you, a little, oh, a wake up in the face. And I would encourage you, take hold of it, hang on to it, and let's respond to God at the end. So, really, the nine characteristics that uh, I'm just going to briefly talk about are how we can stop God in his tracks. Have you thought about that? Bartimaeus stopped God in his tracks when he appeared to be doing something else. So how can we maybe take on some of those characteristics? Okay, here comes number one. They're not complicated. Number one, be curious. Bartimaeus must have been curious. Bartimaeus was a blind beggar. And in society at that time, his life was pretty restricted. No braille, no helps, none of the technology we have these days. His life 
was quite closed, quite small. He maybe had friends help him to get to the place where he begged every day and took him home. Maybe he managed on his own. But his world was not very big, yet Bartimaeus was curious. Bartimaeus wanted to know what was going on around him. We see in the story here that when he heard that Jesus was nearby, he started to call. He started to shout. He was curious. Let me just say this. Sometimes we can be dulled in our curiosity. But curiosity, I think, is a, is a great thing. I don't know if you're here this morning. Maybe you're not a Christian yet and you've come to explore. You know, your curiosity is a God-given thing. And it can lead you to God. If you are curious, God is drawing near and can meet you. As Christians here this morning, we can sometimes be hindered by our cautions and our questions and our not sure type of attitude. Uh, sometimes it's, as Steve mentioned last week, our armchair expert opinions, our judgments. We can dismiss things before we see what God is really doing. And I've done that. I have robbed myself of blessing by writing off people or parts of the church because they didn't quite match up to my expectation. I didn't quite agree with them on this, so I'm not going to listen to anything they say. You know what that is? That's sheer arrogance, actually. I mean, because I've certainly got everything right, haven't I? And therefore, everybody should listen to what I say. You know, God works through all of us by grace. None of us has it all right. Let's keep our hearts open to what God is doing. God is more unusual than we think he is, you know. He moves in strange ways sometimes. Let's develop a healthy curiosity. We have nothing to fear. He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Let's develop a healthy humility that will allow us to receive from anywhere, really. Be curious. Secondly, recognize who Jesus really is. Bartimaeus was blind, but I tell you this, he saw better than all the people in the crowd. Bartimaeus must have heard of Jesus. He must have heard about him. And what's really interesting is when the crowd say Jesus of Nazareth is nearby, that's who Jesus was. But when Bartimaeus starts to cry, he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. That's the title of a Messiah. That's a recognition that this Jesus of Nazareth is more than a guy from Nazareth. He's the son of God. He's the Messiah that God has sent. And he calls out to his Messiah, have mercy on me. Uh, in case you were wondering, by the way, uh, that's not Jesus. For, just to remove any doubt. You know, recognizing who Jesus really is, is one of the keys to the Christian life. But it's not just at the point of when we get saved. It's a lifelong pursuit, isn't it? Really learning who Jesus is is something we continue to do. And sometimes as Christians, we can lose sight of him. Sometimes we can just lose our sense of wonder at who he is. That's why it's good that we worship. It restores to us 
a fresh vision of him, a fresh vision of who he is, restores our wonder. It rekindles something in our hearts. We need to recognize who Jesus is. Number three. I told you they were short, didn't I? Number three. Don't be ashamed of your need. Bartimaeus didn't sidle up to Jesus quietly and say, Jesus, I have a friend who has a problem. (laughs) Bartimaeus shouted out, Jesus, have mercy on me. He had a need. He didn't care who knew. He was focused on something else. His need was obvious to anybody, to to be honest. He was not very British, was he? He wasn't, was he? He wasn't very British. He probably wasn't very Winchester. There is no semblance here of a guy who's got it all together. This is a guy whose life is all over the place. You know, we might scrub up quite nicely here this morning. And we do. And we might come across as having it all together. But let me tell you, we're all needy people. Whatever it looks like. We're all needy people. We need a savior. We need God. As someone once said, all we are is beggars who are trying to tell other beggars where we found bread. That's all we are. Some of us, probably all of us, have issues that need God's help. And sometimes, everybody else knows. We need to be real. Let's stop pretending. There's no shame We are needy people. There is no shame in expressing our need. Of course, there are appropriate times and places and people for some of our needs. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm talking about an attitude of heart that basically says, we're needy, God. We need you. I need you today. I need you tomorrow. I need you tonight. I need you all the time. You know, we need to beware of the culture of our age. Image is everything. So they tell us. God couldn't give a fig about our image. God looks on the heart. He's not, he doesn't care about how we come across. Do we look together? Do we look good? God doesn't care. And we need to kind of get over ourselves sometimes, I think, and be childlike. If any of you are parents here today, you'll probably agree with me. I never found that any of my children had any problem coming to ask me for something. In fact, I thought, Dad, can I, was a sort of single word that was in front of every question. Children are not ashamed. They come because they need. And they come to ask their father or their mother because they need. There is no shame in us being needy. Church is a place with no perfect people. No perfect people here. Just needy people who've found a saviour. And that's what we want to be. Number four. Don't be put off by the discouragement of others. The account tells us many people rebuked Bartimaeus when he started to shout. Many people. The crowd. The crowd were there saying, shut up. Sit down. Pipe down. Who are you? You're just some blind beggar. 
You're just somebody sat by the side of the road in the dust. Who are you? Bartimaeus didn't know his place. Hallelujah. (laughs) What great news. He didn't know his place. He just was determined. He wasn't going to be put off. In fact, it tells us the more they discouraged him, do you know what he did? He shouted all the louder. That's a good response to discouragement, isn't it? He shouted all the more, Jesus. He was not put off. Maybe you've had something that's on your heart that has been crushed by discouragement. Maybe Bartimaeus has something to say to us in that area this morning. I'm not talking about legitimate questions that people may ask and testing of things, but I'm talking about sometimes the crushing that can come through comments or cynicism or mocking or sneering. You could never do that. Sometimes that's people, sometimes it's the enemy. But the effect is the same. You could never be that. You could never do that. Well, we should not be discouraged. Maybe you've been crying out for something that has still not yet happened. And maybe you found others silence or not knowing what to say, crushing to you too. You know, do not be discouraged. Bartimaeus cried out all the more, the more people told him to give up. If God has put something on your heart, you should pursue it. God sees us not as what we're not, but as what we are and what we can be. God wants to see us fulfill our potential. Are you still with me? Number five, we're getting through them. Don't be put off. Oh, sorry, what's that done? Have I missed one here? Mm -hmm. I seem to have lost one, but let me tell you anyway. Don't be put off by embarrassment. Self-consciousness is a curse, isn't it? I don't know about you. I may be the only person here, but I found it a real struggle in some areas of my life about self-consciousness. So let's just be clear. You know self-consciousness is a result of the fall, don't you? In Genesis 2, it says this, The world as God made it. Now the man and his wife were both naked. They felt no shame. A few verses later, where they've rebelled against God, in Genesis 3, it says this, At this moment, their eyes were open. They suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they've sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. We've been trying to cover ourselves ever since. We cover ourselves with masks. We are self-conscious. We wrestle. What will others think? What will others say? Are they going to think I'm an idiot? Am I going to make a fool of myself? Well, I found it hindered me in lots of areas of my Christian life. It hindered me in worship. You know, I was around when the charismatic movement happened. Many of us were baptized in the Holy Spirit. We experienced God in new ways and all sorts of things started to happen. People were doing strange things like lifting up their hands and dancing and shouting and and more. And I found that really difficult. I hadn't been brought up in any of that. Hadn't seen anything like it. And I had a real problem. I I was too self-conscious. What will people think? What will they say? And do you know what happened? 
One day when I was praying in my room, I felt God said to me, you can do it for your football team. You can do it for your rock star. Why can't you do it for me? Why can't you do it for me? So I began a process, which is a faith process, needs to be. It's not about, it's not about hands together, eyes closed. It's not about law. It's actually about a faith process. I began a process. I said, God, I'm going to do this for you. I don't care what anybody thinks. I don't care what, I, what I'm going to put that aside. And I began to enter into what I would say is biblical worship. You know the psalm? I read the psalms. <gasps> it's all in there. Have you read them? Crazy stuff. I, I, I just find it interesting. I couldn't find anywhere in, it, psalm, in the psalms where it says, in your name I will put my hands in my pockets. In your name I'll sort of sit down for a bit. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Hear my heart. You know, biblical expressions of worship. Actually, that's, that's part of, of, of letting your wing, putting your wings up. You know that? Don't be fooled into thinking that what you do with this body doesn't impact what's going on in your spirit. Putting your wings up can actually be, I am going to sing to you. I am going to speak my praise to you. I'm going to lift my hands in your presence. I'm going to allow you, God, the Spirit to come in under my wings and lift me up. Self-consciousness has probably stopped me sharing my faith more than anything else. Oh, what are they going to think if I say that? What are they going to do? Are they, are they still going to be my friend? It's all about me, isn't it? It's all about my image, my perception about me. Pray for boldness. I don't know whether it's age, probably, something to do with it. I'm getting more bold as I get older. Maybe I just don't care anymore. Maybe it's too late. <laughs> image is not so important when you're my age, because <laughs> it's usually too late. <laughs> Pray for boldness. Take a risk. You might be surprised what happens. Do you know what Alpha recently, they were doing, they were coming up to the evening where they were talking about the Holy Spirit. And uh, Ruth Pearson had a dream the night before. And she felt it was not just a cheese dream, you know, actually it was a relevant dream. She thought it was for somebody. So uh, the next night she says to Steve Lee, I've had this dream. And he said to me, I don't know, what do you think? So they took a risk. And she stood up and she shared her dream. She said, I feel God gave me this dream last night. I think it applies to here somebody. Guess what? It did. There's a young lady there. God had never spoken to her in that way before. She heard the voice of God through someone who was prepared to take a risk and get out there and look stupid. Praise God. More of it, Lord. That's what we need. More courage. More boldness. What about little Tom who came up here this morning? Wasn't that great? I don't know whether you, some of you may not have heard very well. Little Tom, who was about there, came up and said, thank you God for the beach. I thought he said beads, actually. but uh, Thank you God for the beach. He's just been on holiday. Isn't that great? What John was talking about, let children, let the little children lead us. Let them demonstrate to us boldness, unashamed. Come on, come on up, share something. Uh, well, I think that's amazing. We need more of that. We can sometimes uh, allow embarrassment actually to hinder because we're embarrassed about others. You've been there? 
I have, someone else's expression of worship or the way someone is doing something or their zeal in witnessing or praying. And it's sort of, it's a bit embarrassing really. I mean, and I feel, you know, do you feel in that in your heart? And you think, well, you know, they're young. They're a new Christian. Well, you know what that is, don't you? It, actually, that's me sort of pushing it away. I'm, I'm finding reasons that doesn't actually impact my heart. So that I don't hear, actually, I used to be like that, and I've lost that zeal. Uh, I used to be like that, or I've never been like that, and I'd love to, but I'm too scared. But we put others down to distance ourselves, don't we, from a challenge to our heart. We need more uh, to be unembarrassed about what God asks us to do. We need more. We need setting free in this area. Okay, I'm back on track now. Show persistence. I was going to put up a picture of ground elder here, but I thought not many people would know what it was. But ground elder is a weed that I hate with a passion. So in our previous garden, it came in, and I went for it with everything. You name it, physical, chemical, everything you can think of. It is totally persistent. It never gives up. But I thought we'd all recognize a dandelion that was doing its best as well. And we've got a lawn full of those, and they don't give up either. Bartimaeus showed persistence. He kept calling on Jesus. He kept calling. He kept calling. You know, sometimes God allows us to do that, to test our resolve. Have you ever done that? Our middle son came to us and said, I'd love to have a dog. Parents, you'll have been there. Yes, yes, well, maybe one day. So we tested his resilience. It became quite difficult, really. It was every day. Ah, Dad, I'd love a dog. I'd love a dog. Do you know, by the end of it, we were convinced that he would love a dog. We had tested his heart, and it was definitely, I would love a dog. But we gave in in the end, not because he'd worn us down, but because we found out his heart and we wanted to bless him. And I think God's like that with us sometimes. He calls us to persistence because it tests our heart. And then he blesses us when he sees our heart. God is not unwilling to answer or deaf when we call. But there's something in the process sometimes and the timing that changes our hearts. I need to grow in persistence. I give up too easily. I really do. You know, I was reading a Phil Moore commentary recently. He said this, prayer is a discipline as well as a delight. That's good, isn't it, actually? Because I don't know about you, but sometimes my prayer is, is a discipline rather than a delight. Sometimes it's a delight, sometimes it's a discipline. And we actually need both. Because if I only do it when I'm delighted, I can tell you there wouldn't be a whole lot of prayer going on sometimes. I have, uh, one thing I have tried to do is that I've kept a record of, of prophetic words that people have given me some of which is what brought us here and so on. And I keep them. They're on my iPad. I read them often because some of them are not fulfilled yet and some have parts that aren't. And I pray them through to God. To me, that's part of persistence. Come on, God. You said you'd do this. Do it. Come on, God. You've done this. What about that? Come on, God. Persistence in prayer. 
I had two years uh, after I left my job where uh, we were seeking God as to what we were going to do. And in the joy of having no commitments and no, no uh, hours of work, I was able to set aside a day to pray and seek God. I'd love to tell you that they, every time they were times of wonderful encounter with God, but that wouldn't be true. Some of them were. Some of them were delight. Some of them were discipline. Now, I have to say that since I've moved here, I don't do that anymore. I'm not in a position. It was a season, and I'm not trying to put condemnation on you. All I'm saying is we need to have rhythms of prayer in our lives that are persistent and consistent, that are discipline and delight. We are going to use our prayer week that's coming up soon to launch, actually not a prayer week. We feel God's calling us to a season of prayer. We're going to be using the four months to Christmas to pray into a prophetic word that we had as a church a little while ago about re-digging the wells. Re-digging the wells. Wells of healing. Wells of revival. Wells of worship. Wells of hopes and dreams. I'm really praying. We are really praying that that catches our hearts and that we take hold of something. That we become persistent, embracing the challenge and actually reaching out to God in prayer. We need to be persistent. We need to be prepared for change. Bartimaeus had probably sat there begging for years. We don't know, but it was probably a well-established routine. He had his spot. That's where he went. That's where he did it every day. He was, life wasn't great, but it had a comfortable routine. He was well-known. He was defined by his disability. At least to us he is. It's funny, isn't it? We know him as blind Bartimaeus, not miraculously healed Bartimaeus. Funny, isn't it? (laughs) Blind Bartimaeus, his life was constrained by his disability. But something in him knew that he had a better destiny. Something in him knew that. And we can be like that. We can be defined, can't we, by our weaknesses, by our deficiencies. We can allow the fact that we're not perfect to hold us back. You know, some of you know my story, actually. Uh, After a church meltdown, I really lost my way at one point in my life. And I spent too long outside of church, lost in many ways. And, do you know, one of the things that kept me there was that I thought my failures and the things I'd messed up on and my disappointment was too big for God to handle. Let me tell you, it's not true. He's big enough. He can do it. He can restore us. He can bring hope to us. He can restore people who deny him three times. He can bring hope in our disappointments and our failures. I stand here as testimony to that. Bartimaeus was prepared not only for a change in his situation, but to leave things behind. I don't know whether you noticed, but when Jesus calls, he leaves behind his coat. Now, that might not sound like much to you. I mean, if you leave one of your coats somewhere, you probably want it back. It's not the end of the world, is it? But the odds are that that was Bartimaeus' only coat, and it was a precious possession to him. He didn't say when Jesus called, tell you what, I'll just go and get my stuff, And then I'll come. No, no, no. When Jesus called, 
He got up and he left it all. He just went. We're not even told whether he went back for it after. It became irrelevant. He left his comfort zone. He left what was familiar and he took a risk. I had a great story recently. We were talking to Ray and Pauline Attil and uh, they were asking about their holiday. And uh, they were telling us about their holiday. They said, oh, they went to the airport and they had this really strange experience. They met this couple. Uh, Turned out they were going on the same flight. And through the airport, they kept meeting them. And the story unfolded that the guy was really feeling quite ill, didn't think he was going to be able to go on the flight and all sorts of things. And there's a lot more to it. You'll get a better story from them. Anyway, it kept on going until in the end, I think it's fair to say, they felt they really were going to have to pray for him. There was, there was kind of no alternative. So Ray prayed for the guy, and then they were boarding, didn't see them again, except they sat behind them, and then they saw them after. It was like some sort of God-arranged appointment. And the guy said, I, I've, I, feel, I, I was fine on the flight. I feel better than I felt for ages. They had a conversation, directed him towards an alpha. Off they went on their holiday. I mean, on holiday... You know, I don't know what you're like, but I'm on holiday. (laughs) Pull the shutters down. You know, I don't want anything to be happening on holiday, God, really. (laughs) That's inconvenient. That's not in my plan. Well, it wasn't in Bartimaeus' diary or his three-year plan. He just seized the moment. He just seized the moment. Bartimaeus was quick to respond when Jesus answered, I've already said, he responded urgently. He sprang up. He wasn't going to miss his moment. He wasn't going to let the moment pass. This was it. This was his moment. Maybe it's your moment today for whatever God's been putting on your heart. Maybe it's your moment today to actually open your heart to him for the first time. Listen, don't miss your moment. He's as present here as he was. Don't miss your moment you know, I do think we're funny as church people, don't you? Do you, we're, do you laugh at, at us? Because we should, because we're hilarious, really. Well, I think we are. You know, sometimes we... Some, uh, can I say this to you? I've been here two years now. So sometimes we, we offer a call to prayer on Sunday and you'd think we were giving out dentist appointments. <laughs> you really would. You know? What do you think we're doing? This is good. Anybody want something good here this morning? Well, maybe you'd like to come for prayer. You know, we need to change our minds, really. You know, to be honest, I'll take anybody praying for me anytime. I need it. Why wouldn't I? Let's not be slow to respond. Let's be quick to respond. Let's be quick to ask for more. God's got good things for us. Finally, and we said, okay. It was eight, not nine. That's where my numbers went wrong. Know what you want. Funnily enough, when Bartimaeus makes it to Jesus, Jesus asks the dumb question. Here's the blind man coming. What is it you want? <laughs> it's hilarious, isn't it? <laughs> well, have a wild stab in the dark, Jesus. What do you think? Well, he doesn't do that. He, his faith is coming out. He expresses his need. I want to see I want to see. Some of you know that we, uh, 
We came from the north. We were in the north for a long time. They have an expression up there, which you may have heard of, shy bairns getting out. And if I can interpret that for you, that means children who are not brave enough to ask don't get anything. Shy bairns getting out. That doesn't sound very British either, does it, really? It might be uncomfortable, but actually it's very biblical. Do you know that? The phrase, don't ask, don't get, sounds quite sort of selfish, doesn't it, really? But if you read James 4, chapter 2, sorry, James chapter 4, verse 2, that's exactly what you'll read. Sometimes you don't have because you don't ask. Wow. <laughs> How about that? God saying to us, oh, God, I haven't got this or that. Sometimes you haven't got because you haven't asked. Ask your heavenly Father. Ask him. Don't be shy of asking. Sometimes that's the problem. It's very childlike, again, to pick up this childlike thing. It's very childlike to ask. Okay, let's land this. God is a sucker for a heart cry. Do you know that? He's quick to respond to people whose hearts cry. Do you want to stop God in his tracks this morning? Jesus was on his way somewhere else, yet someone grabbed his attention. Do you want God to pay attention to you today? You know, we need to be active. It's not like the will of Allah, you know, whatever happens, whatever will be, will be. That's not what we see in this story at all. It's about a man taking hold of his opportunity to take hold of God. Being half-hearted, being lukewarm and passive are never commended anywhere in the Bible. Piece of homework, you can let me know if you find some, but I don't think you will. All the Bible descriptions of our relationship with God are in terms of basic, powerful human emotions. Hunger. I don't know what you're like when you get hungry. I'm very single-minded. Thirst. Passionate love. You'd be amazed what people will do with passionate love. I've been amazed at some of the things I've done because of passionate love. Many of the Bible responses are active, run after, seek diligently, earnestly desire, run after God, run away from evil. There aren't many armchair verses. Even being still, I would say to you, is an active choice. It's not about activity, but it is about an active choice. We can sometimes, can't we, be so anemic in our response to God when what he's looking for is passion and hunger. Can I say this particularly to men here, being one? I think I'll get away with that. You know, it's not soft to be passionate for God. It's not unmanly to be passionate about God. Don't, don't be kidded. Don't be fooled into thinking that. David, King David in the Old Testament, was a warrior, a poet, I mean, he, was, he was a great man. He was a man's man. But you read his passion for God. As, my, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you, O oh God. You know, come on, men. We can be passionate for God. Let me just put up a quote for you. This is A.W. Tozer. Some of you will have heard of. says this. We have but to want him badly enough and he will come and manifest himself to us. That's an interesting, isn't it? 
If you don't believe that, try the Bible. God says in Jeremiah, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you'll find me. What a great promise. What a great promise that we have in God. We're going to close, but I'd like to close just with breaking bread briefly at the end here. If the bank could come back up. Because I want to encourage you to respond to what God's been saying to you this morning. And it could be many and various. So I want to encourage us to break bread this morning just between you and God. Sometimes it's about family, sometimes it's about us. But I just want to encourage you to respond to God in whatever way you need to this morning. You know, we started with the truth that God, Jesus, stops at a heart's cry. We spent quite a a little time looking about our hearts, but I want, as we come to break bread, to focus us back onto what God's heart is. Because this morning, everything I've said may be a challenge, but it's not condemnation. God challenges us because he wants our heart more and more, and he has good things for us. So I just want to read some little verses to you, just as you uh, perhaps, you know, just sit quietly, ponder these things. Since God did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? So don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Why spend your money on food that doesn't give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? Listen to me, says God, and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest food. God is the one who heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds. Bartimaeus' hunger and desire overcame every obstacle that was in the way. We know, don't we, from our life and experience and from the Bible that sometimes our passions for God run high, sometimes they run low. We are like the mist, we change. But we can ask God to stir up a freshness, a passion for him. We can ask God to make us thirsty. Do you remember Angela Kem here talking about salty lips? Salty lips. Give us salty lips to hunger and thirst for you, God. And I want to encourage you, just as we come to break bread, and anyone who is a follower of Jesus is welcome to join us in this, but to you, just just do your thing with God. Ask God what you want. Whether you're broken and need restoring, whether you kind of need thirst again, whether you've come into God for something that you need to keep coming to God for, whether it's healing this morning, whatever it is, I invite you as we do this, just come to God and ask him to help you. Just want to close with one more quote, which I'm going to leave up. This is from a guy called Smith Wigglesworth, amazing guy from a long time ago now. I think this is really powerful. God says he feeds the hungry with good things. Isn't that good? But the satisfied, he sends away empty. If you want to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of the grace of God, get hungry enough to be fed. Get thirsty enough to cry out. Be broken enough 
that you do not want anything in the world unless he comes himself. Let me pray and then come and get bread and wine. Father God, we know in our heads that you are all we need, Lord. But I pray this morning that by your Spirit, you would cause something more of that to sink to our hearts. That whatever challenge you have, may have put on hearts this morning, Holy Spirit, you would draw our response now. Lord, we thank you for your love for us, for your good things that you have for us here this morning, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that as each person comes and gets bread and wine, as they, as it were, lift, lift their wings, Lord, that by your Spirit you would just come under them and you would lift them to somewhere fresh and new, Lord. Whatever it is they need. Thank you, know every heart. You know our needs. Thank you, Lord, that when you gave your life for us, you said it's finished. Everything's done. It's all done. God, we want to eat of the finest this morning. We want to drink of the finest of you, the fountain of life. Come, Holy Spirit. Touch our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Please just come. Come and take bread and wine.